Hello everybody and a massive welcome to the very first episode of Geordie Pride. I'm so excited to kick things off and who better to join us for our debut episode than the fantastic Holly Matthews. I've known Holly for a few years now and honestly I just adore her. She's had such an incredible journey and I love everything that she stands for and for me she's like a little slice of home. You might remember her from the telly and shows like Biker Grove, Waterloo Road, Casualty... But what she's done, she's taken a brilliant turn in her career and she's now rocking it as a self-development coach, an author and the brains behind the Happy Me Project, which you will hear all about in our chat. We have a right good natter with Holly and she takes us back in time talking about her days in front of the camera and about how she shifted those gears to become this amazing source of strength and realness. Holly's got this real down-to-earth way of tackling mental health and personal growth and she's not shy about sharing her own story and unfortunately her own story does have loss in it but she's used it as fuel to help and support others. Holly's story is all about grabbing life by the balls and being true to who you are. It's a great chat and you're in for some real talk and heartfelt advice Geordie style. So grab your cuppa, get comfy and let's dive into our chat with Holly Matthews. You're listening to Geordie Pride, Voices from the Northeast. I'm Hayley and alongside my cousin Angela, we're thrilled to bring you the stories that share the heart and soul of the Northeast of England. Each episode, we'll dive into the lives of extraordinary Geordies and those who call the Northeast home, exploring their journeys and celebrating their achievements. From the time to the teas, from the arts to the sports fields, we're here to share the tales of passion, resilience and of course, Geordie Pride. So whether you're from Whitley Bay or Washington, Gateshead or Gisborough, or you're just fascinated by the spirit of the Northeast, join us as we natter with the best the Northeast has to offer. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to chat to you. Um, so I've had the absolute pleasure of knowing you for quite a few years, mm. but a lot of our listeners may not have heard of you before. So would you like to introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah, of course. So my name is Holly Matthews and I am currently, I, I often say I'm a, I say I'm a former TV actress, but I do still dabble in the TV acting and the in the acting now and then. Um, I'm a self-development coach and I'm the founder of the Happy Me Project, which is in-person events around self-development. It is um, a book. It's a podcast. It is an online membership. And I say that my job is to help people to feel more happy and less crappy or help them unlock that. I'm not making them happy. They have to do that bit themselves. But that's essentially my role. And I just pot around doing what I want every day, which is the main point of all of it. Just pottering around, drinking cups of tea and chatting to lovely people like you. That's what I want to do with my life. That sounds like the life to me. Mm. And I love your tagline, the less crap, what's it, less, more happy, more less, happy crappy. less crappy. Yeah, yeah. That's, it just I try and up. simplify stuff. I'm all about, you know, you know, as you as you will know as well, I, I like the low hanging fruit when it comes to self-development. I like easy well not even easy but actionable stuff that we can do every day and I really truly believe that 
we don't we shouldn't have to get to crisis to be able to access stuff and actually if for the majority of people and i'm not talking about those that experience mental illness as a different you know there is a difference where you need a clinical intervention but for a huge chunk of the world we need everyday solutions and we need to understand how our brains work what triggers us how we can support that and a lot of that stuff certainly for our generation we just haven't been taught and so for me, that's where my passion lies, is to try and help normal everyday men and women to, to find their own solutions. I don't think we, you know, I, I fully believe in people. We don't need to be babied through our lives. We need communities. We need support. You know, we can have all of that. But not everybody needs to get to that crisis. And so for me, it's just, and, and obviously this comes from not just working with clients, but my own lived experience. Like I will fully, I'm in the weeds as well. Like I'm in the, I'm, you know, I'm, doing exactly the same stuff in my own life. And a lot of my early self-development stuff came from me coaching myself and trying to get through stuff. And I just feel really passionately about it. And I think, you know, over the last few years, we've seen a lot more talk about mental health, which is great, but zero access to support in most places, unfortunately. And I actually think that if we, on a ground level, you know, taught our kids and taught people how to do this stuff for themselves and how to understand their brains, we would possibly open up those cues in the NHS and spaces to, for those that are in dire straits to get the access that they need. And that's not what we have at the moment. So I feel, you know, very passionate. I'm obsessed with what I do. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So how how did you kind of start the whole Happy Me project, Holly? How did you kind of come about with the idea? Yeah, so I always did self-development for myself initially. So I started on TV and being from Newcastle, started in Biker Grove. And if I hadn't done Biker Grove, you'd be very upset and angry at me that I had a Geordie who hadn't been in Biker Grove, you'd all be cross. So I started in Biker Grove, I was 11, and I did seven years on TV. And growing up on TV, it certainly gives you, there are a lot of stuff that happens for you. You know, you, you, you go into a normal school, which sets you apart. You are not always at school. You're dealing with being on TV, seeing your face every day. You, at the time that I was on TV, you know, we didn't have social media. If you were on TV, you were famous. You know, like it might not have been to the Hollywood levels of fame, but people watched the show because there weren't anything else to watch. So we watched what was on TV. We only had four channels, five, if you could get your TV thing aerial to be wiggled around and got channel five. Um, and so... I started doing it for myself. I, you know, when I was really young, I started exploring my brain and, and really just trying to find a way to not feel crap. Like I was starting to have a lot of um, issues around the way that I looked and, you know, just didn't like myself very much. And, and what I didn't know was that I was also neurodivergent and I didn't know that then. And so there was a lot of stuff that came up around that, that made me feel like an alien. So I did it for myself for a long, long time. And then growing up and going into the the entertainment industry and the the highs and lows of that world you know the the auditions the ones you get you don't get and all of that the stuff that comes with being in that world I was always learning about that I was I never I very rarely which I guess is a bit weird for somebody who's in the entertainment industry but I wouldn't read like um fiction books or like make-believe like everything I read was around self-development and I've just always been fascinated by it in 2014 my husband Ross was diagnosed with brain cancer 
and then died of brain cancer in 2017. And during those years, you know, I'd become a mum a few years prior to that. That's a natural change. Any parent will obviously be, you know, will say the same. There's a natural change in your life where your world shifts. And I was beginning to assess, you know, how I wanted to work um, and, and what I wanted to do with my life. And then when Ross was diagnosed, I started to talk about self-development and I started to talk about the stuff I was doing for myself. I found that people naturally gravitated towards what I was saying, probably because I was saying it in a very direct way. And I was taking out the, you know, the, the highbrow, heavy lifting of psychology and stuff. And I was just making it on a level of how we would talk. And because I wasn't acting. So when Ross was diagnosed, I'd just finished doing BBC Casualty. It was a big few episodes on Casualty and there'd been a lot of interest after it. I played a, a sexual assault survivor um, and it was it was a big storyline and there was a lot of interest afterwards. I was booked to do a film. There was you know, a lot of auditions kind of in the pipeline. Then Ross was diagnosed and it was, you know, I pulled myself out of everything. And um, so because of that, I was then pretty bored, you know, like we were in and out of hospital, but I was not doing anything and I've got a very busy brain. So I like to be doing. And I just found that people were interested in what I was saying. And I then initially started to just, you know, do uh, online courses um, and it wasn't specifically the Happy Me Project. It was just kind of short courses on confidence. And I started to teach people about confidence initially and how to look confident. But I was also weaving in the, the kind of mindset stuff that I knew as well. And then during that time, I, I started to you know, do some actual training in, in coaching and was doing workshops and um, you know just doing all of the learning. But mostly for myself, a little bit as a business idea, but always kind of initially... I think I always just thought I'll just go back to acting um, at some point and this will just be another side thing. Uh, but I just fell in love with what I did. And when Ross died, there was a huge amount of eyes on his his death and our story. So some of that was because of me being an actor and his dad's also a footballer. And I guess, you know, a lot of people, Ross was, you know, 32 when he died and me, I was 32 when he died. And I think people looking in saw themselves in our family and and it was, a, I guess, a fear response that we look at somebody's story and we see this young family with all of this possibility and it's terrifying. And so, you know, from a perspective of journalists, they were, you know, we were in every national newspaper, there was paparazzi at the funeral, it was everywhere. And this gave me a platform to to talk and I've always found you know the the phrase turn your pain into power is something that drives me and I always find that taking something awful something so painful and shit and finding the the good around it creates a sense of purpose and so I recognize that I recognize and Ross would have as well and so I sort of recognized instantly that there was all these people reaching out and going like, what do you do to, like, say, you know, to be how you are and to walk yourself through this? And initially, you know, I had been, by that time, I was coaching people one-on-one -on -one and I had pulled back from all of that because obviously I was in grief and, and couldn't. But I thought, right, I'm going to put together this course. And the Happy Me Project, the name, had 
come to me like about two years ago and it's weird I found it not long ago I found like the notes where I'd like because none of my notes get deleted from my phone so I found the notes from whenever it was I was like oh yeah I knew I had come up with that like ages before as an idea for something so I picked this name I picked my phone and I sat at the bottom of my stairs and I was recording audios and creating like really basic like stuff but it was all around it was a 21 day course and it was all around really basic stuff. Oh, my battery's going to die. Don't die on me while we're talking. Um, it was all really basic stuff um, that I do every day to, you know, essentially walk myself through all of the stuff that I was going through. And I put it out into the world without any pomp or ceremony or razzmatazz. And within a few weeks, I just started to see it take hold and people really getting what I was doing in that it was just stripped back. This is the basics of what I do. And if you do this, it will be a good starting point. And from there, because I noticed that it it had some legs, I then went on to do events, one of which, in fact, you were, the, were you with the first Newcastle one, Hayley? I think you were the first event. That I was, did. yeah. Yeah. And so I, I started to take it round and then in, invite in, you know, local businesses to get involved and kind of, uh, you know, be part of them. And it just went on and on from there. And, you know, now we're in a position where I've written my second book and there's been bigger events and my first book did really well. And I, I'm kind of, you know, astounded, but also like it, I have to keep reminding myself I'm not actually winging it because there is some sort of plan. I might not have all of the details in it, but there is always some form of plan. And it it really came off the back of, it was a, I always say it's probably the most organic piece of work I've ever done because it came as an answer to what people were asking. I couldn't have you know answered all of the messages individually, but I, so I wanted to put that course together initially to go right if I give you this and it was a 30 quid course, it was that, you know, a lot of my work is very low end in price and it's, it's for good reason. And I, I'm challenged constantly by, you know, uh, business coaches who tell me I could charge more and I get that I could, but it, I know I'm doing myself a disservice sometimes, but equally the balance for me is I want it to be accessible for normal everyday men and women. And I don't want there to get them to get there and there'd be this big price point where they go, well, I can't access it again. And so for me, you know, 30 quid course, I pushed it out and it meant that if somebody was talking to me, I could, you know, give, send them a message back, but then I could also say, listen, here's some actual tangible stuff. Cause when we're in the ship, we want to know, is there something I can actually do? I don't want just somebody to give me platitudes and I'm really sorry you're going through this. That's all very nice, but what the fuck do I do? Like, how do I get myself out of this? And so, um, yeah, that's that's how it all began. And, you know, I, I've been so pleased at where it's gone and it's given me the opportunity to meet all kinds of amazing people in, in, and also feel and recognize that we're all very similar uh, and we're all scared and none of us know what we're doing and we're just trying our best <laughs> no matter what mm. everybody's at it's all the same yeah and I think that's probably why I connected with you so well because I, I ended up coming into your world through um your happy me project work and it was definitely because I'd spent years trying to sort out my mental health and it was one of those things where I had a lot of people who were perhaps 
doctor this and doctor that trying to tell me how to do it and it wasn't striking a chord with us where when you do it Holly it's very much like you share your vulnerabilities you share your story and I could see a lot of myself in you and then that made me think well okay if if Holly can do this let me listen more to her and she can teach me how to do it myself because I'd felt so many times in the past that I would get to a hurdle and then I'd try to get myself out of it and I'd be like right okay I've kind of done a half job and then I would just accept it and not necessarily fix things long term moving on and I think we need people like you that can speak to us as a normal human being rather than someone that like you say says all that big words and I love the fact that you say you take the bullshit out of it because you completely do it makes so much more sense when you speak to me about mental health mental health and how to make it better because I feel like you're speaking to me on my level yeah and I love that and I'm so because that like that's everything to me and I think you're so right it it's and I the thing is when I'm doing the work that I do I'm often speaking to myself as well like I'm often my work comes from such a raw place that I I and I think you know, people have watched me in dark places and they can, you know, they've been able to see my stuff that has happened in my life. And I think without that understanding, it would be easy to dismiss. Whereas I think when we know, and I know myself, if if I've worked with somebody, whether it's a coach or a therapist, I need it to be more than just you went to school. I, I need it to be more than that. And, and people can tell the difference and when we, you know, we are inundated online with life coaches of some form or some self-development coaches, and there's a heap of crap out there. There is a heap of disingenuine, expensive shit out there. And, you know, hopefully that will shift in terms of regulation and stuff over the next few years. But it's right now, it's a minefield. And I think we've got to find people that we connect with on that level. And I I think there's a there's a difference in terms of, you know, you, you can see when somebody's really walked that walk and they do the work themselves. Um, and, you know, I've, I, I'm a huge advocate for therapy, but any form of therapy that I've had hasn't been the solution for me. It hasn't. CBT doesn't work for me. It's not a solution that works for me. And, and everybody is very different. And I fully believe that we can have a, you know, a double pronged attack at things. You might do therapy and coaching and hypnotherapy and, you know, whatever, you know, you might bring, you might have religion in your world or something else. And I don't think it has to be one thing. I think what, what is the most important is that we are not the same people. We're all different. We all have our own triggers and wants and desires and fears. And so we have to find the right people for us. And so for my way of being able to attract the right clients, and also I've got to want to work with the people that I, you know, I want to work with people I like, like I want to work with people that I'm going to get excited for and, and get excited about. And my way of doing that is if I'm the most me that I can be, some people will absolutely detest that. And they can go because then I don't want to be around that. You know, I'm not going to want to work with people that like we we just don't gel. That's not going to be fun for me either. I share my vulnerabilities and I share my mess and my chaos and all of that stuff because I know that that's where we meet. Like in terms of clients, in terms of human beings, we connect there. We don't connect in our polished. 
we are when we are polished and perfected and we're minding our p's and q's and we're doing everything by the book none of us are connected there there's a great big wall between us whereas when we can go oh my god my house is a mess or um i had this awful thing happen or i lost my shit the other day or when we can talk on those levels then people can go thank god and what we can then do is allow people to drop their shame. And, you know, when I work with with my clients and whether that's in the membership or one on one or even at events and things, the one thing I'm always so conscious of is making sure that people feel able to let go of that shame none of us move from a place of shame we cannot learn about ourselves or try something new or feel safe to fail or feel safe to open up you know if my clients came to me and i was super like you know every i've always got my shit together and everything's perfect they might feel scared to share their behind the scenes because that would feel no, what if she judges me and all of that, which I absolutely wouldn't ever. And there's nothing that anybody's ever said to me where I've went, holy shit, like that's never happened. Because even though people come to me and they think that their chaos is unique, it's not. It's not unique. We're not as unique as we think we are. In all of that stuff, we're actually ridiculously similar. And I work with, you know, people who are, you know, super successful famous celebrities that you you may know to your mom's on the school run to you know I work with all kinds of different people and they might have you know different ways of it presenting itself but it's the same shit it's the same stuff so that's heartening isn't it we're actually all as chaotic as as you know we're all the same it's just that some people do a better job of hiding it online largely as well yeah definitely 100 percent. and it's like you say i want to speak to somebody that i know has been through that shit yeah. <laughs> they've been through the trenches they might even yeah. still be in the trenches Ooh. and it's just like you get that connection so much easier than than you would if there's someone that's pretending to be prim and proper and it's yeah. not necessarily the case and i do think as well um, my geordie voice doesn't do me any harm in that respect as well i think there is there you know we we get told a lot don't we that the geordie voice is uh friendly and all of that and i do think it's a it's a interesting level out for people you know, somebody's coming in with a, and not that I'm knocking anybody who has a, a posh English accent or any or any other accent in the slightest, but I do think we will often gravitate towards voices that feel very real and raw and like they might have been through some shit <laughs> and draw the accent. You know, we we do. We sound like we've you know we've been through some shit. The the minds or something like that. You know, something hard. <laughs> cold and stuff yeah they've they've weathered that that cold up there so they must they must have been through some shit something like that yeah she's a geordie she's hardy yeah i'm probably worked down in the mines when she was a young child yeah and the reality is i'm soft as shit and i'm cold all the time so it's a myth that (laughs) i was no coats on yeah and and we'd love to pretend that is a myth i mean now it is because obviously i've been away from the north for a long time and now i'm apparently a southern softy even though i live in the midlands um and i will wear a coat i can't in fact what i do is bring out a hot water bottle with me because i'm freezing and um yeah no i'm not going out with no water now (laughs) 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 so which part of the northeast are you originally from holly i'm from benton so mm. I, was, I was born in Heaton, Falmouth Road, and then, um, which is lovely now, uh, and then moved to Benton, next to Benton Metro Station. And then my parents are over in Gateshead now, which is a different world to me. It's a whole different world. 
You know, it's when you live over the, the east end of Newcastle, you, you're not just jaunting off to Bladen. It's not happening. Oh, it's different over there. Yeah, <laughs> different out land. Inside, I mean, there's like, there's horses, you know, there's all sorts out there. So we live out there now. But I, I, I get up home now and then, not as often as I would like or should. Um, and my kids love it when we go up because we've got beaches in the northeast whereas where we are we are literally the center of england so we do not have beaches so even mm -hmm. though it might be cold they do quite like all that space it's nice mm -hmm. so do you have a favorite place that you like to visit when you come up do you know when i come up i rarely get the time to actually visit enough places it's always darting around seeing family which is a good thing and that's the reason for being there um but i you know i i Going to the coast is really lovely. I'd love going into town. I love going along the quayside. And uh, if I am lucky enough to get a, a moment on my own to go for a wander, I love just going for a walk along the quayside and going and finding some coffee shop and sitting there and looking at the Tyne Bridge and just being very Georgie and thinking, look at that Tyne Bridge there. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I do. Um, but I don't know anywhere. Like That's the wild thing. I've, you know, I left home when... How old was I? I started leaving home when I was about 17 or 18. And I, I signed to Sony when I was that age and was doing up and down to London and touring and doing stuff like that. And then um, officially, I think I was like 20 when I officially moved out. So it's a long time that I've been away from home. So people will often say like, oh, where'd you go out in Newcastle? And I'm like, I don't know. Like literally, I'm like a tourist now when I go home, I've got no idea and apparently i'm now a posh geordie so you know <laughs> i wouldn't hear that no, <laughs> you've kept your accent very well <laughs> thank you very much i'm a posh geordie until i go somewhere where someone's like jesus christ and then i hear like an old clip of biker grove or somebody sent me an old clip of me on a radio show not that long ago and i was probably about 19 <laughs> It's so funny. My voice seems very high pitched as well. Like I do what I guess our voices do lower, but like I'm like, e all right, like I'm dead, like up here, like e, I'm dead, like up here, e every every sentence, obviously, because I'm Geordie starts with e, 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 every and, and I've, years of not living in Newcastle and having to enunciate every goddamn word does knock it out of you you know like there's something lovely about being on a show like this or being in Newcastle speaking to a Geordie when I can just relax into my vowels and just like it's just nice it's easier I don't have to phonetically alf you know do the phonetic alphabet on everything or I was talking to the girls the other day I used to live in Essex for a while and when I was at drama school and I used to work in this bar um and they would give me the change and um, or I would get oh some balloons there. That was nice. What was that? <laughs> that was very random. Random. What did I say? It set off the balloons. Yeah, I, they, <laughs> it was always the number nine, right? So in our accent, we say nine, but in Essex, they say nine. I'd say that's nine pounds, please. And they would go what? And I'd be like nine pounds. What? And then I'd have to go nine. It's nine. And then they would go oh nine. Okay, nine. And I, I just used to, yeah, that used to drive me wild. So years of having to shift how you speak and to speak slower and enunciate does kind of knock out your accent a little bit. Um, but, you know, mm. I'm glad you can speak. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very similar to that when I go home because 
I don't, I mean, I'd probably go home like once every two, three months or something like that. I'm exactly what you said. I'm like a tourist. So like I'll mm-hmm. go down the quayside and I'm stood there for 10 minutes taking different photos of the Tyne Bridge, yeah. like different angles. And then I hear a Geordie accent. And I'm like, oh, Pete, can you hear it? Can you hear it? It sounds yeah. lovely. And it's just it's like, relaxing. what has happened to me? I've not even been away that long. <laughs> I always hear a Geordie. I just pick it up. Like my Geordie sense is tingling. Yeah. And I'm like there and I pick up a Geordie accent. So... <laughs> We don't lose it. I we always my friends of mine. They're always like Geordies really love Newcastle. Like they really love it. Like they they're into it. Way they're always like they're into it way too much. It's too much. Like they're way into it. And but I do think there's something like there's places like Newcastle. I think Liverpool's quite similar. I think Glasgow's quite similar in that we have such you know such terrible history in some respects. Like such poverty and such like real strong. Like we know our identity and I think, and I don't know how you guys felt, but you know, I grew up knowing our history. Like I was like, I came from a, you know, a very politically motivated family, everybody, you know, my trade union dad and my trade union granddad and, you know, years of all of that kind of Geordie construction and all of that, you know. Uh, shipyards and everything and I think we know our history and then the football brings us together as well it's another kind of connector Uh, and also we're far from other places like we are up there in the cold at the top of the country holding our own Um, and I do think it gives us a very strong sense of identity um, that I don't experience in many places and I've worked in being in around lots of places it's not the same everywhere else yeah we've got very similar because both me and Angela are from Ashton um, and that's very strong Ashton it's like a pit yeah I can't say it pitmatic yeah my granddad was from that way and he used to speak like that I can't do it I'm not going to try Okay, it's going to be embarrassing. Angela's very good at it. <laughs> yeah, it's never left me. <laughs> do you know what it? Do you know what a crack it is, Holly? Ask everybody this. What is it? A crack it? Crack it? No, I don't. I didn't know this either. No, is that it's, very? Is it a your way like thing? Like, is it a, like, like a like a a Northern Green word? I, I yeah, I've never heard. Really, I guess really, but no, a crack it is. Um, a little seat next to the fireplace so you know what you used to have like open mm-hmm. fires yeah yeah yeah. Like a little seat that you would sit and warm yourself up on a crack it no i've never heard of a crack it no never heard of it that's mm-hmm. a new word I'm, I'm gonna ask around see if my geordie family knows what that is my dad will my dad's like the he's lived away a long time on and off like in the on the oil rigs and stuff and he's He's like, what? what's that film, East to East, where the, the Indian dad knows everything. He can relate everything back to India. That's my dad with Newcastle. Doesn't matter what it is, he can tell you. Champagne, he can tell you how that is actually Geordie. Because I think it's something like the, the things, the mechanism that kept the champagne from... Um, going flat was actually somehow designed by a Geordie. So my dad will bring champagne, French champagne will be Geordie like he can somehow there is a, a tenuous link he will bring it back to Newcastle so I'm going to ask him what a crack it is and if he fails he's failed at being a Geordie and that's what I'll tell him mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> go for it I will report back I blame you <laughs> so do, you, do you think living or coming from the northeast do you think it's influenced you to what you do now or hmm um, I guess so, yeah. I mean, I think in the Northeast, and, you know, I, I came from a family who were very opinionated storytellers, 
Um, as you know, jokes aside about you know my family being like union blokes and stuff like that, they can tell a good story. And I come from a, a chatty family who hold their own, they'll debate and all of this stuff held me in very good stead. And I also think, you know, when I first moved down to London and was doing the acting circuit and auditioning and stuff, um, the the kind of working class, the snobbery that was around, even when I was young, and it's definitely different now, but there was a lot, there was still a lot of snobbery about, you know, being working class. And I was lucky in that my dad from being really young, really hammered into me, like about knowing who you are and knowing your identity and also accepting early doors because of the way you speak, you will, people will always know that you don't come from money. There will always be that tell, you will be leaking that out. And as long as you were comfortable with who you are, you don't have to change anything about yourself. And he would say, you know, in terms of accent, he'd worked all over the world and had to learn to enunciate his, his words so that he could be understood. And, and he would always say to me, you know, don't, you don't have to lose your accent, but you do have to be understood. Don't be one of those Geordie knobheads who, you know, starts thickening up their accent when they leave New York. Oh, well, yeah, like, woo, woo. like, you're trying to not be understood. Like, that's not useful. But he was like, enunciate your words enough that if you say crack it or you say a Geordie word, that people can go, what does that mean? And I actually think that gave me a real strong sense of, understanding that it was okay to adapt it was okay to know who I was and not to be really understand my own identity and really own that it also gives you a strength of character you know to when I was you know first going down to London and I remember that one of the first incidents of um like snobbery was I went to this meeting and it was in this posh um apartment uh with this record guy record label executive and I sat down and I was with my manager and I start, I hadn't said anything, which is unlike me, but I hadn't said anything for a bit. My manager had done the initial intros and then I started speaking. And as I say, I was, you know, I just left, I hadn't really left Newcastle. So it was, my accent was thicker than it is now as well. And I started speaking and the guy went, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even know that accent was real. Like that's <laughs> And I remember, like, firstly, I was hugely, like, wanting to go off on one. Like, I was hugely wanting to kick off. But I didn't. And I just sat there. And I just pitied that guy's damn ignorance. And I just thought, what a shame for you that you are so in that bubble. And my dad's always said to me, and it always makes me laugh about it, because he always goes, when people say things like, oh, I wouldn't go, it's grim up north, isn't it? And they say, you know, old tropes like that. My dad's like, let him stay down there because it isn't grim up north and we don't want him up there <laughs> like he's like if that's the mindset stay down there like stay wherever you need to be but you know and I think that's given me that has definitely come from that Geordie sensibility of knowing yourself and I think living north south and in the middle it's given me a real sense of actually there is a very culturally distinctive way that Geordies present themselves and talk and we're very direct as a culture and no I'm not talking on an individual level everybody's different of course and but as an on an individual on a kind of from a, a collective space we're very direct in our delivery um and we're also you know the whole Geordies are friendly I think we are like I do think we're very direct and inviting 
And when I first moved to London, and again, not individual people in London are brilliant. People in Essex are brilliant. You know, when I lived down there, I've got so much fondness in my heart for all of them down there. But as a collective, there is a standoffishness that we don't get in the Northeast. And that's kind of where that kind of North-South divide thing, there's a much more of a fearful space um, when you are further down South that even my, you know, London friends will fully be testament to that when I used to when I started to recognize and I'd been away from home a long time and I would come back home and you'd have someone go you look lovely in that top and you didn't even know them and you're like it, it made me feel like really heartened because I'm like oh that's you know when I first moved to London I'd get a lot of um all right calm down why are you so aggressive and I'd be like I'm not like I'm just being direct <laughs> And, um, but I do think that has definitely shaped, um, you know, and the sense of humor. We have a, you know, be it certainly working class northerners, we do have a, a good way of taking the piss out of ourselves whilst also delivering stuff. And I, I think that's, you know, in my work, humor is massive. Like it's a huge part of it being a bit silly and not take, like I always say, I, I take my work very seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. And I do think we can hear a message far easier when it's delivered a bit tongue in cheek or a bit cheeky or a bit like of a joke. Uh, we can often hear really hard stuff if we buffer it with that. So I, I do think that comes from where I grew up and in, in from a, a Geordie family who spent, you know, spend all their time taking the piss out of each other. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like there's definitely a, a sense of hardship, but buffered by yeah. just the, the general personality of Geordies that just seems to be like, like a bit more lighthearted and a bit more like taking the piss out ourselves. And yes, we can get through it and we'll just plow mm. on any anyway. And I think that's definitely a big a big personality trait of most Geordies that I know and it's probably one of my favorite as well definitely mm, so can we rewind a little bit because as I mentioned at the top like I know you very much from your happy me project days all of your mental health work um can we go back a little bit to your acting days your singing days and specifically, I want to ask about Biker Grove because we're on Geordie Pride. We need to mention Biker Grove, of course. Um, so what was it like to be part of such... Because it was iconic, wasn't it? It was mm. definitely a massive part of our childhood. Yeah. And what was what was it like to be part of it? I mean, brilliant. And I, you know, I, I got on Biker Grove because I wrote a letter to the show. And I've shared this before, but I... I almost felt like this was like a urban legend and that like, did I write it? But like, did I handwrite it? Cause I mean, it was early doors with, you know, younger people, we didn't have like access, easy access to computers and stuff right there. And I think it must've been the first computer we had that probably had it for like about 20 years or something. And on my 30th birthday, my parents had had put on a canvas. They'd found the letter on the computer somewhere and they put it on a canvas for me and it's really funny it's written in comic sans which just is horrific for all designers and I'm so sorry but that was fancy back then that's all we had we only had a few options and I'd written my name is Holly and I'm an actress um, and then I'd written um I have brown hair and green eyes and I'd colored them in brown and green um and it said um I got a Saturday drama class and um I'm not shy one bit I'd put that in just to let them know like I'm not you don't, don't worry about me I'm not even shy I'm not not bothered and um, at the very bottom I'd I'd put can I have a part in the show and then I put at the bottom please write back quickly because I just was dead keen to get a response 
and they because you know Baker Gove got in normal kids we didn't have drama schools at the time up there uh, they got me in for an audition I auditioned I know about five times I didn't get the part but I wasn't disheartened all I was thinking was then it can be done like it can be done then like because I got on set like so next off I'll be there and uh, six months later they wrote a part in for me and then I started on the show and really for me I think because I was so young I didn't have I wasn't in any way jaded in my mind like of course I could be on the show you know as an adult with adult eyes we're like wow that's amazing like that's an incredible thing but there was no I didn't have any limiting beliefs I was very lucky and I came from a family that even though they were not in that world my dad was a welder my mum worked in a bank it was a normal family. I didn't come from a stage school background. I, w- I came from a family that let me be. Like, they just let me be myself. And that's such a gift. Like, if we can gift our children anything, let them be what they want to be. And so they just supported me. So I had no doubt that I could do that stuff. I just didn't. And so when I got on the show, I then, you know, went through that show. It was like, you know, my whole of my growing up was on TV, which definitely has its pros and cons because obviously as I said earlier there was a lot of challenges that were faced going to a normal school and for six months of the year we were filming I would be on and off school depending on the storyline but that had a lot of challenges that you know were in there but I I loved acting I loved being on set like my I will still say now my safest spaces my most comfortable space is either in the wings of a theater or sat on a tv set listening to the noise of a tv set and all of the the smells and the the sounds and the light like that was my safe space that was where I felt the most me being in front of a camera it's the least like it's for a lot of people that'd be the most uncomfortable that we'd feel for me it was you know when I was going to school I was the the weird kid off the telly like I was different I was different to everybody else and it made me feel weird when I was on set around creatives they're all fucking weird like that's fine like you could be that weird self and I felt safe and so for me it was such a, a learning it was such a learning in the industry and you know, I might look back and laugh at my acting ability and all of that now, but it was so much learning within that and building of my confidence within that. And when I then left, um, my character left in a very traditional way of leaving like a soap or a TV show. And I went to London, you know, to the bright lights of the big city. My character wanted to be a singer. And what had happened in real life was I'd actually also... I'd been on, I don't know if you remember the Saturday show, I think it was Danny Bear was the presenter on it. And I'd been on there and we went out for food, all of the people that were on the show. I think it was like the Blazing Squad and um, remember the Blazing Squad? (laughs) The Blazing Squad, where are they? Um, And (laughs) the girl who had been on like Pop Idol or one of those things, I I forget her name now. Sarah Whitmore, I feel like that was her name. But anyway, we were all out for food. I got sat next to this manager and I was chatting to her and she was saying, oh, I'm moving to this new management company, a music manager. And I must have said, oh, I'm a singer on the show on Biker Grove. And she then got in touch with, and then it ended up basically happening in real life that I was meeting uh, record companies. And what ended up happening was my character left the show, left Biker on the Thursday. You see me getting the train down to London, you know, the whole like, add some like sad music in the background. And I'm off to bright lights of the big city. And um, on the Saturday in real life, and it was just a fluke, it wasn't organized this way. I did Top of the Pop Saturday. 
in real life as Summer Matthews. So it wasn't even the same name, which is another... Basically, Holly Valance was out at the same time and she came from Neighbours. And even though uh-huh. levels of celebrity were far vastly different and we didn't look alike, Sony were pushing for me to, um, or maybe my management, in fairness, maybe it wasn't Sony, were pushing for me to change my name to differentiate us. Um, and I think there was plenty of other ways to do that. But anyway, I ended up getting pushed <laughs> into being Summer Matthews. So now it feels like I had this alias that, you know, my sister will often go, what happened to Summer Matthews? Where did she go? I'm like, I don't know. Um, so I ended up doing that after Biker. And so for me, for a, a time, it was like, well, you just write a letter and you get a job and then you leave that job and you're signed to Sony and everything's easy. And then when my single came out, it was, um, I mean, it was a weird time for music. People were no longer buying singles and I had a single deal um, to then go on to do an album if it had done well. And nobody was buying singles because we just started to get like MP3 players and everything was becoming digital. Um, and there was like all this weird stuff where if you, to stop record companies just buy, bulk buying records, you used to have to buy each one individually. So I'd be sending my family in to HMV on Northumberland Street with a big bag of and they're like, just put them through individually, each one like that. Oh, put them through, <laughs> and you imagine? Um, but I rem- when it ha- when it came out, there was literally ones and twos between everybody in the charts. It was it was wild. There was not they weren't being bought. So. I got to 32, which actually in reality wasn't bad. But at the time we were watching Pop Idol and things like that. And people were getting to number one with their first record. So I fell into that crack. And um, within on the Saturday, I knew where it was going to chart. Sunday, it went out on Radio One. Monday morning, I get a call from Sony saying, thanks, it's been nice working with you. Dropped, done. So I'd went from seven years in TV into signing to Sony, a year of doing Top of the Pops and MTV and Disney and Nickelodeon and all this, you know, recording in Marbella and exciting stuff to like, boom, back to square one. Um, So it was such a, you know, a leveler for me to say the least. Wow, that is, yeah, that's quite a, I know it's always, that industry is always quite ruthless. Well, I've never been in it, obviously. Um, But you hear about all the the ruthless nature of it and stuff. And that's just, yeah, that that must have been hard. It was the best thing that could have happened to me, though, in lots of ways, because it taught me Mm. to, it taught me to work harder and it taught me to find a route. And, you know, one of my biggest things now is there's always a way, there's always a way around. And I also realised that I didn't want to be a singer. It just didn't, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed. And I felt very, not out of my comfort zone. I just felt like I was doing somebody else's thing and it wasn't me at all. I didn't enjoy it. And it took me a long time to actually even enjoy singing after that. I just didn't enjoy any of the experience. The only part of it I enjoyed was making a music video, which made me realize I just wanted to be an actor. And, and that was mm. it. Really. So it was, it, was t- it was tough. It was a nice version of tough. It wasn't actually tough, but it was a good way of, you know, me early doors remembering it can be just taken in a moment's notice. Which, what was your favourite one to do, Holly? Which, like, favourite part or, like, TV oh, series or? Well, I would say, I mean, there was lots. And, I I mean, Waterloo Road was a nice one to do. Leanne Galloway was my part and I got expelled. And that was a fun one to do. But I have to say, as a fan of the show, The Bill was my favourite one to do. I played a drug addict on The Bill who, um, what was her name? Was it Josie? Josie. 
Josie Clark, I think her name was, and I held one of the police hostage with a syringe and it was all very actiony. And that was, I loved the bill growing up and I used to watch it and think, I used to hate watching the actors on there because I used to think I should be doing that and it's all envious. Um, and when that part, when the audition came up, I rang my sister and I went, guess what auditions come up? And she went prostitute on the bill. And I went, no, crackhead. And she was like, you've got to get it. And so I went <laughs> in like, oh my God, I looked so rough. I had my housemates, I wanted to look like, I was trying to look as skinny and, and like drug addicty as possible. And like no makeup, I, like dark circles under my eyes. I'm like trying to get into character on the tube on the way into the audition, like tweaking and like all like giving it loads, people moving away from me on the tube and that. Um, and I, <laughs> I knew I'd got it and I'd, I'd be, it was summertime, I think when I auditioned, I was tanned anyway, maybe I was just fake tanned, but I was tanned. And I remember I knew I'd got it because I, I, it came um, as I was leaving, the director went, um, the tan, can it go? And I was like, <laughs> it'll go, <laughs> it will go. Um, and then when I went to do the part, because, um, oh God, it's I still feel nauseous thinking about the story. Because I knew the first few scenes I had to do were me, I'd been in this, in the the first few scenes recorded where I'd been in the cells for a long time. So I was coming down off the drugs. So I knew I had to be like rattling from coming off the drugs. It was cold turkey in it. So I had to look rough and I had to feel rough. So in my wisdom, the day before, oh, I said to my sister, why don't I just get absolutely fucked drunk? Like really drunk. So we've got, I'll bear in mind, we're, we're I'm essentially a student. I mean, living in very nice place, but... I was at drama school still, or just finished drama school. And um, I left, I just I decided to leave to do Waterloo Road. So I was still living in the same area. So we've got this cheap bottle of vodka. This is not nice vodka. This is like, like basically just dregs of something, you know, like it's horrid vodka, that kind of stuff that'll like strip your stomach. So we've drank this and we have drank a full bottle of vodka and we've gone through the full cycle of drunk, you know, like fun drunk, phoning people drunk, laughing drunk, deep conversation drunk, the tears are coming drunk. We've gone full circle of all of the levels of drunk. I've had to be filming at like seven o'clock the next morning across the other side of London to where we lived. I was so rough. I had to get off the tube at Stratford to vomit on the side of the, the, the platform. That's how bad I was. I was so <laughs> over. I've got to set... And like that, I'm sweating, you know, the hangover. Like I was so rough. And they're like, they're putting the makeup on and making me look rougher, which was really not necessary. And, um, you know, I'm doing all, and everyone's like, oh, she's really, that's so, she's really good. Isn't she good? Like, so, <laughs> like, like actually shaking, like, I you know, zoning out in that because I was so hungover. And like, it's that thing on set where it's like, um, I, oh, Polly's wrapped for the day, she's done. And like in my, my, my body, I was like, like when they said rap, that should have stopped. The sickness should have stopped then, but it did not. It was awful. I mean, it looks great. I, I weirdly saw it a couple of years ago. I was lying in bed and I was watching telly. I was watching like some random like UK gold or then old channels that we used to have with like the reruns of the bill. Loved the bill. So I'm like sat in bed and I'm watching this, the bill this is a great episode loving it and then I ran on screen me and I'm like oh shit that's me that's weird I obviously <laughs> hadn't watched the rest of the episode or like read the rest of the script so that was an unusual experience to suddenly 
not realize I was watching something I was in and then be like, oh, that, oh there I am. That's weird. <laughs> but that was one of my favorite <laughs> things to do because I was a fan of the show and I got to do scenes with people that I'd watched growing up. And yeah, that was, it, it was an only, it was only a one episode part. And it was one of my favorite ones to do. Cause it was just, I got to like actually act, albeit with a little bit of help from the day's shenanigans before. Um, and I, I also got to be part of a show that I really was very excited about. And they should bring back, in my opinion, bring back the bill, I say. Talking about um, bringing things back in Biker Grove, is it actually properly coming back? Well, apparently, and I just got, I only knew because the BBC suddenly started to, my phone started ringing off the hook a couple of months back. And I was like, <laughs> like, can you come on the show and talk about Biker Grove coming back? And I was like, is it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I got wheeled out as an ex-Biker Grover and just like brought round to talk, like a talking head. Apparently so. Ant and Deck have the rights to it. So I've been waiting for years. Like, come on, guys. Let's sell yeah. me so Holly can get a little payday of um, all of those, you know, we get those royalties checks. They're not coming these days. Um, they're not actually checks these days. They used to be, though. Um, <laughs> and um, that felt better somehow. It felt like more exciting. Oh, we're checking the post. Uh, but yeah, so apparently they are. And, and it was, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, there were so many people that were in Biker. I can't say that I'm going to be top of the list um, to be in there, but you never know if the call comes, I'll let you guys know first. Um, Would you do it? My, my old, I don't know, you know, like I, like anything now, um, I've done a couple of bits of acting over the last couple of years and it's been fun. And I'm always about, if it's fun and it fits in my my world, then of course I will. We're not, we don't have to be one thing for the rest of our lives. And I love acting. Whether I would go, I, I just, I think it, it's so, I was going to say whether I would go back to something full time, I don't know, but I guess it really depends on the circumstances and on what was on the table. Um, my oldest daughter wants to be an actor, Brooke, so um, she's already been like, we need to move back to Newcastle. If that happens, we move back. We go there and I will learn a Geordie accent and I will be in the show. So she's already you know, like putting herself forward for that one. So maybe I'll have to, you don't know. Yes. <laughs> awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, you mentioned Ant and Deck as well. And we've got to ask about Ant and Deck because, yeah, massive TV legend. My girls absolutely love Ant and Deck. Um, what, when you were working with them when you were younger, what were they like? Did were you did you look at them and know that they were did they have something special so, that you thought they're gonna be massive or so I wasn't the I wasn't the era when Ant and Deck so I did work with them on it, but they came back. So I was that bit too young to be their generation. In fact, I grew up watching them and not even so much on Bike Over. I don't know if I actually watched Bike Over before I was in it. So I was a little bit young, but I um I grew up going to, they were PJ and Duncan to me. And I once went to see them at Whitley Bay at some like festival, music festival that used to go on there. And my mum and dad had helped me make this big, massive banner that said, I love PJ and Duncan. And every time I put it up, people said, put it down, we can't say. And I felt well embarrassed because <laughs> like, I'd made this massive big sign. So I was a little bit young. And then when I got on the show, they weren't on it. Um, and then they came back and they did a scene. So Jeff, who was the Grove leader, Jeff Keegan, um, he died. They blew him up, which was terrible. Uh, they blew him up. And so they brought back a lot of the old, um, like characters and Ant and Deck came back for that. And I would have been about 13, I think, cause I, I saw a clip of it 
um, on YouTube. And I remember thinking I was dead grown up at the time and I looked so young. Um, so I did a scene with them then and they were lovely. They're, they're just, I mean, without being cliched and obvious, they're really nice lads. They're just normal Geordie lads. And, you know, as we've already talked about in this um, podcast, you know, it's very much steeped in Newcastle will be a, is a good leveler for, for people in many ways. And most people, most people really don't lose that sense of where they're from. I think when they're from the Northeast and they certainly used to have a lot to do with the, you know, the people that were, had been a biker goal from the beginning, the cast and directors and, and some of the producers and stuff and the, the crew that were there for years and years. Ant and Dex still spoke to them and, and we did, a 10 year reunion, I think after it was it 10 years after it had finished. Um, and we, we did like a reunion thing then and I met them there and they were lovely. You know, the, I think what you see is what you get with, with Ant and Deck and my experience, albeit very minimal, um, has, is always been really nice. They've always been very, very lovely, very warm and engaging. So, um, yeah, I didn't see them growing up and I don't, I think their era was, it was a really special time at Biker Gove when they were in it. Um, and again, it was a time when there wasn't anything else to watch. So they became very big because it was the right time for it as well. I have seen them sharing on their social media some of their old songs recently. I don't know if you've seen it and absolutely ripping themselves. So funny watching them yeah. do their rapping. It's brilliant. I once, and I dread to think where it is because I don't remember. Oh, God, I don't even want to bring this up. I once rapped, and I'm not doing it again. I rapped the whole um, Let's Get Ready to Rumble rap on a radio show. I don't know if I was prompted to do that or if I did that off my own steam. And I think we can both probably guess that it was probably off my own steam. But I don't know what radio show that was on. Somewhere, somebody has a copy of me rapping that. Rapping it. What was I, I love doing? that. Mm, someone's gonna do find it that. do it again now do give what oh, an exclusive i'm just gonna say god <laughs> not that long ago in the car and this sounds like i'm like this is a reoccurring thing for me and i'm into it it's a good song though i don't know if i, could, I would know where to start i'll i'll think about it and then i'll send you a video of it yes and I'll, I'll have a little re remember of what it sounds like or some whoever has that recording will send it to us and shame me with my rapping yes, if you're out there holler let us see it. Get it on YouTube. Tag Holly. Imagine <laughs> as well. Oh, I love it. Um, so let's. I think let's go full circle. I suppose. And you mentioned about your influences growing up and such, and obviously mental health is a massive part of the work that you do. How do you think in the northeast we can I suppose better address mental health um, mm -hmm. in the region? I think like lots of pockets of the UK, the Northeast is still a little behind in terms of the conversations around mental health. There is there is still a bit of stigma and I do see it when I come home. And when I started doing the initial uh, events and stuff within Newcastle, it, um, it came about after a friend of mine, Sophie Graydon, who was um, on Love Island and, you know, had had done lots of things in the Northeast um, when she took her own life. Um, and I saw a spate. When I was younger, I knew a lot of people that took their own life. Um, and that always terrified me. Like, it really terrified me. And 
And it always, and I don't know, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say this, but I felt it so viscerally when I heard about it because I, I really, really believe that there is a way forward and a way out. And when we're in those desperate places, we really think that then there isn't. And there will be lots of your listeners and lots of people that we all will know uh, that have experienced those things. And I just always had this feeling of like, there, there has to be a way to reach people. And when that happened with Sophie and then a few people around the same time um, around Sophie, uh, it was this, for me, it was such a pull to go back up and, and make those conversations happen. And sadly, every time I go up to the Northeast and do events, the change is minimal. If I'm being honest, I think there's still a long way to go in the Northeast, particularly around, um, particularly with men and a friend of mine, Anthony Hutton, who is up in the Northeast and you should definitely get on the show actually, because he's one of our lot and he's doing a lot of stuff with men at the moment, which is great. And I'm supporting him where I can um, in getting men to talk about their feelings. And I know it's not just men, it's women too, but, um, you know, there is this very old school mentality with some Geordie blokes that um, is holding them back from being able to work through some things. And it's it's really scary. And I think there's still work to be done. And I think we reach it, we reach them, men and women, in the ways that we've just said, you know, at the beginning of this, we reach them by the stuff that I'm doing, the stuff that Anthony's doing, the real raw, nitty gritty, said with a Geordie voice, said with some swear words in it, said with some honest you know, no bullshit approach because Geordies can't take bullshit. We don't do as a cult culturally, we don't do flowery very well. Um, and we don't need to, to be able to reach people. And I think, you know, from my own work, I've often been able to reach people from, and not just Geordies, I, I would say like a lot of working class areas where they think, ah, oh, that stuff's just not for me. And I've found that I've been able to attract a lot of people in my spaces because of that directness and cutting the crap like you can't talk to somebody who's just you know witnessed their partner dying or their um you know they've just had the 10th miscarriage and just pretend it's like let's just you know think happy thoughts about and move forward fuck that like no let's address the fucking trauma and pain of all of those things and then we'll find a way through it. But we'll also recognize that along the way, there's going to be much back and forth. And it may be that sometimes we will always have to revisit this stuff. And I think when it's said with a, a directness and an honesty, I think that's the way that we reach people in the Northeast and, and most people in, in fairness. But I, I still, it worries me sometimes when I come home because I do see, I do see a disparity compared to some places still, which... It kind of shocks me, but then I guess it's, you know, maybe maybe it shouldn't, but it, it still does. And maybe that's me being in my own bubble of doing this work all of the time. But I will continue to keep coming up to the Northeast and I'm looking at getting some dates up there as soon as possible. We're hoping in, in March, I'm going to be doing a happy me and a cup of tea tour, which will be much um, less pomp and ceremony as the bigger restival events that I do, but will give me a chance to meet people and just to have a chat. And, and really what we're talking about, this on a level chat where you can talk to me and it's not, you know, we see a lot of these self-development events and we see people on a big stage and they're untouchable and it's some kind of guru worship bullshit. And that's not how we move ourselves forward. We move ourselves forward through big conversations and 
honest conversations and tears and cups of tea. And that's for me what it's, you know, that's where we reach real people, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. And this it probably is an ideal time for you to like, where do you want to take the Happy Me project? Like, what are your big plans mm. for it? And have you got anything coming up? in the next few months that any of the listeners can sign up for? Well, hopefully if I pull my finger out over the next few days, I will have some dates for the Happy Me and a Cup of Tea tour. So that will be some dates around the UK where we can just have a chat and it will be an excuse to go to different places and really meet the people that follow me online or have done my events or courses or bought my book. Um, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I'm going to just tell you lot because it's a secret amongst us, right? Just us and your <laughs> listeners. Yeah. But I do have a book coming out at the end of the year um, in September. And this is all going to be around confidence and self-belief. And I'm really excited about this one. And it's yeah, it's going to be a really, really important book for everybody. And I'm really excited to get that out in the world. So I will be focusing a lot on self, you know, build no nonsense approach to self-esteem and self-belief. And I think that often comes the fundamentals of everything is how we feel about ourselves and how we can also present that, you know, how we can appear more confident as well. And I'll be using some of my acting skills in that respect as well. So lots of stuff coming out with book stuff. There will be some kind of big, you know, event later in the year for that. And lots of smaller events and I'm going to I'm also going to be doing a lot of other people's events um over the the next few months as well which is really great so I'm going to pop those all out there so if people are at different festivals or events I'm I'm just trying you know, I'm also rather than doing everything myself and, and my own stuff I also do want to go to events and speak at other people's stuff and enjoy what they've done too and get different perspectives and stuff so I'll be doing a lot of that this year and then I'm going to be just chucking out some some short courses, the membership, the Happy Me Project membership. We are now opening and closing the doors, whereas prior to that, the doors were just open all the time and anyone could come in. And that's not to be some kind of elitist club that people can't come into, even though all the cool cats hang out in the Happy Me Project, you know, so <laughs> there is one there. Um, yeah. But what I'm the reason I'm doing that is to try and, um, yeah, just have. I, I, one of the things that's important in spaces like that is that people feel very safe in those spaces and that I think when there's an open door policy I think sometimes that it's it's a weird there's a mental shift I think but there can be that feeling that we want to get to know the community that is in there to feel safe enough to share and also when new people are coming in I'm always conscious that even though it's online it's not it does still feel like walking into a new space that it would you know, potentially feel nicer for people to come in at the same time as other people and not feel quite as I'm the new person in a space where everybody must know each other. So um, I will be focusing on the Happy Me Project membership as well. But um, this year, I'm, I mean, I, I know at the start of the year, everybody has all of these like really heavily put together plans. I really, I'm, I'm not, I mean, going with the flow sounds way too chill for who I am as a person. But I just am going to, I'm tapping into what I've always done, which is jump in with both feet and give stuff a go and probably do it last minute. And I'm trying to just be audacious as fuck and bold and just see where things go and ask for more things, which I think for a moment I'd forgotten that that's how I did. I've always done things, you know. I, I always joke that the way that I got Biker Grove is literally still the way I do business now. 
There's nothing much. I mean, we've we've barely moved a, moved a, a, we've moved one notch up from Comic Sans and coloring in my my hair color brown and my eyes green. We're one notch up from that. And you know what? People don't ask for what they want, so they don't get it. And as my cup says, and you probably can't say, yay, shy Ben's getting out is what is on this cup. And we can't, and I feel terrible not being able to plug whose it is. Own this, whoever this, whoever, where this cup came from, it's a nice cup. And shy Ben's getting out, as Geordie's, we get that drummed into us. And I was definitely taught shy Ben's getting out. You don't ask, you don't get. Or my granddad used to say, grasp the nettle. I don't know if that's a Geordie phrase or it was just something he said, but grasp the nettle, like be brave enough to 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 go for something that might feel a bit scary, grasp the nettle. Um, and I've always done work in that way. And so this year I'm, I'm very much just going, I'm going to grasp the nettle, I'm going to ask and I'm going to see where it takes me. And so far I've done some quite big things. I've kind of you know, because I've asked and then everyone, like I just did another podcast, the ADHD podcast, which is a big podcast yeah. and I, I did it. And then everyone started messaging me going, how did you get on that? And I was like, I just asked, can I come on your show? And he went, yeah. And they were like, oh, like thinking it was bigger than that. I'm like, they were like, oh, and how did you pitch it? And I'm like, just <laughs> messaged him on Instagram and say, can I come on your show? Cause I think I'd be dead good on that. <laughs> and it, <laughs> So I think that's what I'm going to continue to do this year. So for people to kind of follow and see what I'm up to and what random shit I'll be chucking out there, because it might be random, I don't know. Just make sure you follow me in those spaces. Instagram, I'm heavily on Instagram. I'm doing TikTok stuff at the moment, which I haven't been, and I'm doing regularly doing TikToks. Should I try and speak again? Solely focusing, that was hard to say, solely focusing on confidence and self-belief so I'm just doing short tips on confidence and self-belief on there so if that's an area that your listeners find that they dip in then that's I'm going to be putting all of that on TikTok and there's pretty much daily tips and hacks and stuff like that on there so I am doing the I'm doing the TikTok so that I can become big on TikTok and then my my children will be impressed by me that's the only thing (laughs) So help, cool, me, help me to look like a cool mom. Um, and look good. I mean, I'm never actually going to be there. Mortified, aren't they? Of course they are. Um, but uh, yeah, go and follow me on TikTok. And yeah, come and say hi. You know, I'm I'm very accessible in in what I do. And I, you know, I have boundaries, but I also do like people. So you know, chat to me. Let me know we came from here though as well. Yeah, I would say that as well. Is that you are just. Whenever I'm feeling stressed or low in confidence or just low in mood, I say my little, I think I need a dose of holly and then I'll come and find you online and like you just always make me feel so much better. So if you're not following Holly, definitely uh, do that because it's a, it's a, a pick me up is probably a good way of describing you, Holly. That's just definitely... don't put me on loudspeaker. You have to listen to me in your headphones because I can't promise yeah. I won't swear. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play Holly in front of your children. No, no. Well, you might. I don't know. You, I don't know your kids. Your kids might be very direct. They might be feral. I don't know. They might. <laughs> right. So to finish off, we um, have got some quick fire questions. If you're up for that, go for it. I love a quick fire. <laughs> I think I've got to sit up for it. I'm ready. <laughs> right. First one, Holly, is the number one thing you miss about not living in the northeast being able to speak properly. <laughs> Geordie directness, humour, and being able to speak properly. That's what I miss. Oh, yeah. 
way I exactly. Stay <laughs> <laughs> out in the northeast, coast or countryside. Oh, coast. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, my, my parents live in the country, but no, it's, it's muddy. No, coast, please. <laughs> Uh, next one, what's your most favourite iconic landmark? Oh, the Tyne Bridge, without a doubt. Just the Tyne Bridge. Like when I was, when my husband was alive and we would drive over, he would always do his Geordie accent on the Tyne Bridge. He would go, we'd get on the Tyne Bridge and he'd go, oi, oi, on the Tyne Bridge. Like, oi, we're going in the tune. Like, we're going to buy a shirt in the tune. That's what he would say the whole way across the bridge. That's all I can hear when I go across the bridge. Oh, I'm gonna go in the tune and buy a shirt. Oh, I'm we gonna do so. Yeah, that time bridge <laughs> brilliant. I love that. Um, and my last one is what is your go to Greg's order? Cheese and onion pasty. Oof. Oh, they call it a bake now, but whatever. Cheese and onion pasty. Uh, yeah, what's pasty. yours? I want to know what yours are now. I want one. Mine is a chicken bake. Nice, good, good second choice. I'd go, for, mm-hmm. I'd go with chicken bake. Yeah. Do you know what I like? What I've just discovered the cinnamon mm-hmm. um, muffins. Oh, I'm not sure about that, Angela. A cinnamon muffin. Cinnamon that, muffin. That, 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 that's very pot. That is cinnamon. You're just we're bus, we're like pasty kids over here, it's and you're cinnamon. Cinnamon muffin. <laughs> yeah, she lives in Morpeth now, Holly. Oh, that's why you didn't say. Oh, yeah, yeah, cinnamon Morpeth now, oh, darling. It's, they only eat cinnamon muffins in Morpeth. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> but then before I have my muff, my muffin, my cinnamon muffin. Mm. I like a good sausage roll. Yeah. And there That's and there she is. There's the real Ashton lass. There we go. <laughs> there she's back. Yeah. Angela, to be honest. The, the listeners are like, we thought we'd lost Angela to Morpeth. Just you cinnamon muffin and wine in a dummy, you see. Now I just want all of the food we've said to eat immediately. <laughs> I mean, I, I people joke with me about like how many Gregs there are in Newcastle. It's not. It's. It is. A, I didn't realize how m- much we're into it. Like we, mm. I've never been in another city that has Gregs open on a night out. That's not oh, a thing. Sausage roll after a few beers. <laughs> that's not a thing. Like, and Lush. I think people from the northeast think that's a thing. That's not a thing. That's a northeast thing. Nobody <laughs> else eats the cheese and onion pasty on the way home after a night out. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> and definitely no one's eating, no one's having a cinnamon muffin on the way <laughs> <laughs> except in Morpeth where they do well, of course you've got to, got to mix Shampoo. in with the folk got to last question Holly so and finally what does Geordie pride mean to you in just three words oh oh god pressure Geordie pride in three words Oh Christ, I don't know. Um, I'm having to think about this one. I should have prepared this one. I like to never prepare, but oh, in three words. I've never said anything in three words. This <laughs> will be difficult for you, Holly. It will be difficult. Um, okay, so Geordie Pride for me, um being yourself would be probably yes. what I would what I would bring it down to. Being yourself and yeah, everything that that encapsulates um, within Geordie Pride. I think that's really lovely and also very holly because that's exactly what you do. Mm-hmm. Yay! 
Yay. Well, there we go. We did it. We ticked a box. We went full circle and we, we talked about all the things and it matched perfect. I feel like I, yeah. I feel like I should pat myself on the back for, for coming up with that so quickly. Yeah. Um, well done, mate. <laughs> You're very on brand for being a Geordie. Well done. Thank you so much. We do like to have a lot of Geordie stuff in this house. I mean, there is a lot of black and white um, that is in this house. We do not have red and white in this house. It's not a thing. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to look around. There's no doubt there'll be something Geordie related because that's what we do. I mean, it's just been my daughter's birthday and she is a new... Oh, here we go. I was just about to say, look, something Geordie related. Just like there, just yeah. putting out that. We, we made a Geordie birthday cake for my um I did I say made it I bought the cake I decorated it um we made so there's always there's there's Geordie stuff about you know it's here to remind me of who I am and all of that it's like you know stick a rock running through me black and white um and that doesn't go away good stuff yeah good exactly lass. same as me good lass <laughs> right so we'll wrap up there and we'll let you get on with uh, your evening um but do you want to just share where the best places are to find out about uh, your membership and all of the other lovely stuff you've got going on? And I'll pop all the links in the show notes as well. Um, if you need to get um, Holly's first book, it's fabulous. And then obviously a second one when it's coming out. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if you go to IamHollyMatthews.com slash all my stuff, you will find all my stuff and you will find links to my social media. But on most of the social media, it is I am Holly Matthews. So if you can't, if you Google me and you can't find me, then the internet is broken and you must phone somebody. So um, come and say hi. Let me know that you're here. And um, I look forward to chatting to all of you. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much for joining. We've really enjoyed chatting to you. And yeah, everyone you, follow Holly. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support Geordie Pride further, then don't forget to subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Geordie Pride. Until next time, keep that Geordie Pride shining bright. Thank you.